Walk in the Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Hello, I'm Major Chris Parker, and this podcast topic is Force Health Protection in the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Disease. With me today is Colonel E. Darren Cox, commander of USAMRIN. Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here with you. So we're glad to have you because today we're discussing a different type of warfare, but one that's become particularly relevant given the events of the past year, and that's the Army's effort at combating infectious disease. Thanks to COVID-19, this subject has taken center stage, but the impact of infectious disease on warfare is nothing new. I'm struck by Walt Whitman's quote that, This whole damn war business is about 999 parts diarrhea to one part glory. Whitman, who served as a nurse during the U.S. Civil War, recognized the reality that poor sanitation, large crowds, and austere conditions can quickly become breeding grounds for communicable disease. And history reveals that large armies conducting expeditionary operations are often both vehicles for the spread of disease and the victim of endemic or emerging diseases. As the world becomes ever more crowded and better connected, this trend is unlikely to change. The Army's recently published biological defense strategy notes that biological threats and hazards will be pervasive features of the strategic environment for the foreseeable future, and the Army must maintain and increase its biological defense capabilities if it is to successfully prosecute multi-domain operations. So today, to help us better understand but one part of how the Army combats infectious disease is Colonel Cox. Sir, I'm glad you're here, and if we could just start with telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and how you wound up working at USAMRID. Sure. Uh, well, good afternoon, and, and thank you for taking the time to speak uh, not only with myself, but some of our outstanding personnel here at USAMRID about our role in force health protection and uh, multi-domain operations. By way of background, I'm a board certified in both thoracic and general surgery. I've been in the Army almost 25 years and will soon be concluding my tenure here at USAMRID. Now, when I first uh, assumed command in July 2019, USAMRID was facing some significant challenges. My initial charge was to restructure the organization and align core competencies and capacity with both requirements and resources so that we could best maximize our contributions to ChemBio defense needs. And while my team and I tackled that task, uh, not only six months later, our focus quickly expanded to include development of medical countermeasures to SARS-CoV-2 and our response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We were an early contributor to Operation Warp Speed and the whole government uh, response to the pandemic uh, while continuing our critical uh, uh, ChemBio defense mission set. Gotcha. So you guys have been quite busy. (laughs) Unexpectedly so, I guess, would, would be a way of putting that. So now, you know, for me, USAMRID has a, a kind of a, a special place uh, because as a kid, I remember watching uh, the, the blockbuster 1995 Dustin Hoffman movie, Outbreak. Um, but aside from rising to fame there, our listeners may not know a lot about the USAMRID itself. So I'd like to begin there, sir. How about, could you give us some background on, on the origins of USAMRID, uh, its development, and then its current actual mission? Sure. So uh, USAMRID... Um is in its 52nd year. Uh, it it found, was founded in 1969 here at Fort Detrick, Maryland, and it's the DOD's lead laboratory for medical uh, biologic defense research. It, we uh, fall under the U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command, uh, also located here on Fort Detrick. USAMRD is the 
largest biosafety level three and the only biosafety level four lab in the Department of Defense. Mm. Uh, but being a biosafety or BSL level four lab, what that means is, is that we're equipped to study uh, uh, highly hazardous pathogens, uh, for example, the uh, Ebola virus. Mm. Uh, these are the, the uh, types of uh, organisms that, for which you must wear those positive pressure encapsulating suits that you've probably mm-hmm. seen in the movies or on television yes, sir. Uh, that look like space suits uh, because those, uh, those diseases tend not to have any, uh, any vaccine or any good treatments and are highly infectious. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, USAMRIT investigates disease outbreaks, threats to public health, etc. cetera. Uh, we, we conduct our research in order to aid in the development of uh, therapeutics or vaccines, uh, diagnostics, or uh, just research information uh, that will both protect our military personnel and civilians. And uh, although we're an Army lab, our research benefits uh, all of the sister services as well as the uh, general public. Now, sir, you've already mentioned it, but USAMRD plays a, a, a critical role in what's broadly termed or doctrinally termed force health protection, which are the measures to promote, improve, conserve, or restore the mental and physical well-being of soldiers. Now, this includes the medical surveillance and prevention activities typically associated with preventive medicine, which a lot of us in the operational force are, are familiar with. Um, but this is, but your side of the house, the laboratory services, um, that's, that's a whole other side to this. And so if you could, can you talk about how USAMR contributes to force health protection from the laboratory side? Sure. So uh, USAMR has multiple core competencies uh, that contribute to force health protection. Some of those core competencies uh, we've already discussed, such as biologic agent research. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's some areas uh, specific to force health protection uh, that uh, are easily highlighted, highlighted here. So, for example, uh, in the, uh, a, a broad area of force health protection uh, that we would term surveillance and reach back, uh, USAMRID uh, has the capability to rapidly identify biologic agents. Uh, we can do that both in the laboratory here, or we can develop assays uh, that uh, we can give to uh, expeditionary units. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, the first area medical laboratory, the, the first AMO, which is uh, the Army's uh, expeditionary uh, field lab. Mm-hmm. Um, we can uh, develop uh, areas uh, of expertise in prevention, and that can uh, be in our testing and evaluation of medical countermeasures. And when we say medical countermeasures, that's uh, uh, medications, vaccines, uh, anything that uh, helps us uh, uh, counteract uh, those, uh, those various organisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a role in training and educating the force, so that's in both surveillance and treatment. Uh, we conduct uh, the medical management of biologic casualties course. Uh, I've mentioned uh, the, uh, the first AMO, but we also uh, conduct a course called Field Identification of Biologic Warfare Agents course and uh, the Outbreak Response course. And both of those courses are uh, heavily subscribed not only by Army personnel, but by uh, sister service personnel as well as uh, interagency personnel from other elements of the, the U.S. government. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, in some areas that you're going to get into with uh, – uh, so I think some of the other folks on this podcast, uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, is a key thing that is uh, getting new highlight with respect to the uh, results of the pandemic uh, that we're currently in mm-hmm. is uh, preparing for uncertainty or preparing for that next threat. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, I think, in a little while. But, 
you know, what that really means is, is that uh, not only do we maintain that expertise, uh, whether or not there's an ongoing pandemic, uh, but we're always ready and we're always surveilling for uh, that next uh, uh, incident that can, uh, if uh, not carefully controlled or detected, will, can potentially arise and become a major problem. Uh, and then uh, one of our last core competencies uh, would be simply the maintaining the highest safety and security standards, uh, being uh, the largest and most complex uh, uh, high biosafety level lab, uh, we certainly produce a lot of uh, personnel that have expertise in maintaining those safety standards. And a lot of uh, USAMRID uh, alumni uh, you can find elsewhere uh, in the government or in private industry or in academia, and uh, they're promulgating those uh, safety standards that have been uh, created and, and uh, perfected uh, over many years of practice uh, here at USAMRID. Yes, sir. So just, and, and I'm curious about the biosafety level four thing. Now, so you guys are a, a biosafety level four lab, and is that on par with what like the CDC lab is in Atlanta? Is that the same tier? So, uh, yes, I mean, there's biosafety levels one, two, three, and four. And mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, we're the only DOD BSL-4. Yes, Certainly sir. the CDC has a BSL-4 uh, capability. Uh, in Atlanta, and there are several other BSL-4 labs uh, you can find throughout the country. Gotcha. So now, when we look at biological threat agents, what you guys are studying in your lab, this includes both pathogens, such as viruses and bacteria, and then toxins. Um, Just to give our our listeners kind of a a background, can you explain the difference between these agents, what are, and what are some of the ones that are studied at USAMRID, specifically? So briefly, uh, you know, both bacteria and viruses uh, are, are living organisms. Uh, several examples of bacterial threats uh, would be agents that cause uh, anthrax, uh, plague, and glanders. Um, so these are, are diseases caused by biologic uh, uh, bacterial threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then viruses uh, such as Ebola, Hantavirus, Rift Valley Fever, and others, uh, some of the hemorrhagic uh, viruses or the encephalitis viruses that uh, we've heard about over the years, those uh, 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 viruses uh, cause disease by entering the cell and, and replicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in contrast, toxins are not living organisms, but they're proteins that are produced by living organisms. Okay. So some examples of toxins would include ricin toxins, some of the staphylococcal uh, toxins, uh, and botulinum, uh, botulism uh, mm-hmm. is, is a... Is a uh, agent that is a toxin that causes a disease. Gotcha. And that's, I think if I remember back to like my, my high school science class and isn't the botulinum, I think, or is that what's, what uh, came to fame with, with poor canning practices, I guess, is that That is correct. Yeah. Gotcha. So now when we look at all of these agents, these biological agents, are there certain properties that make some of these agents a, a greater threat than others from what, from your perspective? Well, yes. Uh, so, you know, our, our primary job at USAMRID, uh, as I mentioned, is to develop the medical countermeasures that protect against these agents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not experts on how to weaponize uh, these agents. Mm-hmm. That said, however, um, you know, there are certain physical properties uh, like the stability of the organism that would make a potential uh, biologic agent easier uh, to use as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big consideration would be how easily it could potentially be made into an aerosol. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, aerosolization means uh, 
disease caused through the inhalation route, and the inhalation route is of grave concern mm -hmm. uh, from a battlefield perspective uh, because an adversary could cause a, a great number of casualties uh, at one time by delivering an aerosol over a wide area. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think back to some of the trench warfare uh, in, in, in World War I, you, you can get an idea of what we're talking about, the ability to deliver a, a, an agent over a wide area. And that, that's why it's so critical to have uh, medical countermeasures that protect against uh, inhalational exposure. Gotcha. So now in, in looking at all of these agents that USAMRID works with and studies and the, and the countermeasures that you develop, thankfully, uh, most of them or a, or a lot of them um, aren't common to the United States. Things like Ebola, um, Rift Valley fever, Lassa virus. Um, so I assume that this requires a lot of multinational and interagency cooperation to, to stay abreast of the emerging diseases and their potential treatment. So, sir, can you give us some background on, on how and with whom does USAMRI partner to tackle these challenges? Sure. No, we rely on an extensive network of uh, collaborators. Uh, I've mentioned some of them already, the other federal agencies, mm -hmm. our sister services, uh, academic labs uh, throughout the United States and internationally. Uh, commercial companies, uh, pre again, predominantly in the United States, but internationally, mm -hmm. and then international partners that uh, would include, uh, as I'm, you know, some of these uh, academic labs and commercial companies, but also our uh, our, our uh, uh, international, uh, excuse me, our our uh, uh, sister services uh, in for, in our NATO allies, predominantly, mm -hmm. uh, as well as elsewhere, but. Uh, uh, we have over 700 active agreements currently, and uh, these agreements facilitate that cooperative research and development, uh, as well as some material transfer agreements. So we leverage our unique skill sets and capabilities to support work at these other laboratories. I mean, it's a two-way street. Uh, mm -hmm. We definitely can't do our mission alone. So just to, on that note, do you does USAMRID, or, and I know you mentioned another organization, First AMO, is it is it USAMRID or AMO? Do you guys deploy scientists to the field if there's an outbreak in, let's say, Africa? Would, do you guys deploy there to investigate, or is that, or do you rely on who's already there to send you back and you guys do the lab work? So uh, the answer to that would actually be both. Okay. Um, so, for example, uh, the first AMO, uh, the first area medical laboratory. Uh, some of those personnel uh, actually work here within RID on a day-to-day -day basis, and then when the first AMOL deploys, uh, they go with the unit. Mm. Uh, some of our personnel serve as uh, observer controllers uh, for first AMOL uh, exercises. Uh, we've, I've actually got a couple of folks uh, who are currently uh, uh, out in the field uh, with the first AMOL uh, supporting it, uh, but for the most part, USAMR personnel don't deploy on a day-to-day -day basis, but we certainly have sent folks out in, in the past. Uh, we were on the ground in Africa during the Ebola crisis, mm. and uh, we have uh, folks that we regularly collaborate with, uh, either by regularly visiting or uh, corresponding with uh, or having them visit here on a, on a uh, regular basis. Now, some of that has uh, slowed down with the, the COVID mm. pandemic, but it's starting to pick back up again, and uh, so... Uh, I mean, it's a little bit of both, uh, you know, whether we have direct reach back or whether we go out on field or uh, whether we have folks uh, here that uh, that regularly deploy with uh, their, their main unit. Gotcha. So I understand also that USAMRD is a part of the Laboratory Response Network. Um, what is that and how does USAMRD support it, sir? 
So the laboratory response network uh, falls under the, uh, the leadership of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And it's a set of early warning uh, networks uh, that uh, detect the covert use of uh, pathogenic agents. Mm -hmm. There's four different levels of labs based on their ability to uh, support diagnostic needs. And some of them are at the state level and some of them are at the federal level. And USAMRIT is, is one of only three uh, LRN, or Laboratory Response Network, national reference labs that are in the country. Uh, and uh, what, what that means is, is that we can do a complete diagnostic workup on an unknown uh, biological agent. Hmm. Wow. So that's like a genetic sequencing to identify it and, and whatnot, I assume? Yes. Gotcha. So now I, I think we, we got to deal with the elephant in the room and that's COVID-19 as, as you mentioned earlier you know you you guys got quite busy with that so although your primary mission at USAMRIT is biodefense just given the experience uh, between the, the personnel and the organization with managing and responding to emerging disease outbreaks uh, I think it's it's important that we spend some time looking at how how USAMRIT contributed to the COVID-19 response so if you don't mind sir could you talk us through um, what you guys went through over the past 15 months or so um, dealing with COVID. Sure. I mean, USAMRID, uh, I'm very proud of what USAMRID's been able to, uh, to accomplish over that time. Uh, we've, we've played a key role in the, in the uh, nation's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, even while carrying out our, our core mission. Mm -hmm. And our support to Operation Warp Speed and the federal response encompasses a broad range of uh, uh, not only expertise, but uh, uh, direct capabilities uh, some of those capabilities include animal model development, uh, diagnostic uh, testing and evaluation of potential therapies, and, and biosurveillance. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, COVID developed several animal models of SARS-CoV-2 infection uh, that successfully replicates human disease. Uh, and I'm very proud that uh, one, of the, one of the animal models is the, the first lethal disease model of COVID-19 in mice, mm -hmm. uh, as well as several non-human primate models. Um, so, uh, for example, our, our USAMRID's uh, Syrian hamster model uh, was selected uh, by Operation Warp Speed to rapidly identify therapeutics uh, against SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, USAMRID was one of the first laboratories in, in the world to quickly develop and validate uh, imaging techniques that visualize the novel coronavirus in animal tissues. And that allows us to create highly sensitive assays to assess the efficacy of uh, countermeasures in those animal models. Mm. Okay. Uh, and so, I mean, that what I just described, that body of work is uh, critical for uh, testing vaccines, treatments, and diagnostic tests that mm -hmm. will satisfy the Food and Drug Administration FDA requirements for licensing uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, medical products, whether they're medicines or vaccines, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely, sir. So, I mean, in addition, uh, you know, we sort of mentioned that uh, LRN uh, aspect, but USAMRID serves as a 24-7 confirmatory lab for the entire Department of Defense, which mm -hmm. means we provide diagnostic testing, testing for uh, mission-critical military personnel and that to, uh, in order to help leaders make informed decisions about force protection, return to duty. Mm -hmm. So we refined and tested multiple uh, mul uh, laboratory assays uh, to identify COVID-19 uh, samples, and uh, we developed methods that uh, determined uh, whether uh, individuals had protective antibody levels. Now, now, sir, could you, when you say assay, could you explain what that is for us, just for our listeners in case they're un unclear? Sure. An assay is essentially a test. Okay. So, um, you know, sometimes those uh, tests are uh, what we think of when you see it. 
maybe in the uh, emergency room or, or urgent care center, a, a, a card. Sometimes it's a blood test. Sometimes uh, it's a test that you have to send back to a, to a laboratory, but it's, I mean, essentially uh, various types of, of, of tests. Okay. Um, so we, uh, we actually worked with a, a sister lab uh, called CCDC, or the Combat Capabilities Development Command, Mm-hmm. Uh, to to assess uh, one of those assays called a lateral flow assay, and that uh, allowed us to identify uh, suitable convalescent plasma donors uh, right. in order to you know determine what their potential immune status was based on prior exposure to COVID. Hmm. Uh, so that uh, you know was critical in, in the development of that uh, convalescent plasma. Absolutely. Additionally. Um, talked about therapeutics, and uh, USAMRID uh, screened uh, multiple drug compounds that uh, were provided by collaborators using what we call our high-throughput screening capability. What that does is that allows us to quickly identify uh, candidate uh, drugs, typically, um, to, uh, that uh, will have activity against SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we work with industry partners as well as sister labs uh, to, assist, uh, to assess uh, monoclonal antibodies as a potential treatment for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that process, we identified a candidate that showed great promise in the, in the hamster model of infection. And uh, USAMRID and CCDC, the lab I, command I previously mentioned, took part in a study that linked antibody levels in uh, COVID-19 patients to their ability to control infection. And that provided, uh, you know, basically established potential benchmarks for the development of uh, convalescent plasma as a treatment for uh, for COVID nineteen. Mm, wow! And so a lot of this work sounds like it's done with, I guess, the animal models. Is that kind of uh, one of your fortes up there at USAMRID? It, it is uh, one of our core competencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, animal models are very important, uh, especially in diseases uh, that uh, uh, have high consequence, uh, high infectivity, or no treatments uh, against that you, you test uh, potential treatments uh, in, in the animal models uh, before uh, going on to human use trials. Now, I, I read a couple months ago about a, a potential vaccine or a new vaccine that was developed by, I think, your sister lab. Is that, can you give us any background on that, a COVID vaccine? So uh, the Wall Street Army Institute of Research is another mm-hmm. uh, uh, direct reporting unit to the medical re- U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command, our, our higher headquarters. Yes, sir. And uh, they're located down the down the uh, street at uh, in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. And mm-hmm. uh, they've got a long history of, of excellence in uh, investigating diseases uh, like malaria and HIV, as well as a lot of uh, other infectious diseases uh, and, and uh, also traumatic brain injury, et cetera. So, so did they focus more on, I guess, less lethal diseases, whereas you guys, because you're a biosafety level four lab, you could focus on the Ebola's and the, the high lethality diseases? Is that, is that what I understand or not? Well, I would say that they, they concentrate on uh, bacteria and viral illnesses that uh, don't require study in biosafety level three or four necessarily. Mm. Okay. Um, or if they are studying uh, the consequences of agents like that, they... Uh, would uh, would uh, coordinate with us to do some of the testing in our labs, but uh, they might still be developing some of the other studies, uh, some other portions of, of those uh, diseases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they uh, early on in uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic response, they certainly uh, started to develop a uh, a vaccine against uh, SARS CoV two. 
mm-hmm. and uh, they are uh, currently in in the midst of uh, uh, testing that vaccine candidate. Is that in, I, th- I think, human trials now, correct, sir? Or It's in early human trials, you are correct. Gotcha. And USAMRIT okay. helped uh, Rare with uh, actually some of the NHP studies uh, with their vaccine candidate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So I got to I got to ask you, sir, I, I, you know, given that, that to me, it seems like you guys have a really unique job in a, in a, in a, in a unique environment. And I've seen a lot. Um, what what keeps you up at night? What pathogen or agent causes you personally concern? You know, what's the what's the scary, scary guy out there? Well, the scary guy out there is uh, you could name probably any of the uh, pathogens we've discussed. And, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if one of our adversaries were uh, able to weaponize that agent and then had the intent to actually use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that would, I would say that would keep me up at night would be the next unknown. Mm-hmm. We don't know when the next uh, organism is going to uh, start causing disease in humans uh, and potentially create uh, the next pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have to be constantly on the alert uh, for that next organism uh, and uh, its potential for causing widespread disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, that, that sort of leads into sort of one last comment I would like to talk about a little bit is the, uh, the biosurveillance approach uh, that USAMRIT uh, has developed with COVID-19 and, that, and maybe its ability to be applicable to other diseases. Yes, sir. What's that look like? One thing that USAMRIT has done is, uh, is uh, develop this uh, biosurveillance approach that combines massive pooled testing uh, with traditional assays and uh, next generate, what's called next generation sequencing. Now, is that testing of people or testing of animals? This is uh, testing of samples. Samples, so okay. From animals or humans. Uh, okay. We're, we're, what I'm talking about now is, is one for widespread testing uh, uh, for COVID-19 in, in humans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and what we do is uh, it has the ability to take uh, a significantly large number of samples uh, and decrease the logistical burden, meaning some of the reagents that are uh, in short supply as a result of uh, needing to do testing all across the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it allows you to dramatically increase uh, diagnostic capacity while alleviating that logistical burden. And mm-hmm. uh, so you can literally contest uh tens of thousands of samples on a single run on a single instrument uh, in, a, in a few hours wow. uh, and get results. So this is getting ahead of all the issues we had early on in the pandemic when they're, you know, we don't have enough tests. We're not doing enough testing. This is a kind of a solution to that. That's absolutely correct. Gotcha. So uh, what the Dr. Kugelman and his team have done is have uh, completed and, and successfully completed the proof of concept. And we're actually in the process of operationalizing that assay where we can translate results from the laboratory here at USAMRIT into procedures that you know could be used uh, at military labs and civilian labs, for that matter, across the country and around the world. And so, um, you know, the, the another interesting thing that we can do with that is, um, besides dramatically increasing the number of samples, we can also look for different uh, for multiple pathogens at the same time. Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, say you have a disease that might be the flu or COVID or even something else, you can actually put several different uh, probes on the, in this assay, and that allows you to, uh, to take a single sample from someone, and not only is it COVID positive or negative, but if it's not COVID, if it's flu, you could potentially say that, you know, that it's the flu instead. So mm-hmm. it it's has dramatic uh, uh, 
applications uh, for many diseases, but uh, certainly will dramatically increase the ability to, to uh, maintain biosurveillance. Wow. Well, you know, and, and you know, sir, I, I was a little, um, you know, it's, I, I was hoping to hear something maybe about when I, when I asked about what kept you up at night, like a, an individual pathogen that's lurking out there that's, that's scary that we're not looking at. But obviously, it is the uncertain and the unknown. But um, I'm curious, when you know, this past year with the pandemic and COVID-19, COVID-19 generally seems like a, like a fairly mild agent. Um, you know, some people experience no symptoms, some people experience severe illness. Um, you know, I was always afraid after watching the movie Outbreak, because I got to go back to that, because that's my, my, my experience with you, Sam, is, the, is that film. Um, I, was, I was always afraid of an Ebola type of outbreak. Um, but we saw that in, in West Africa, and it was terrible, I'm sure, obviously, there. But it didn't reach the scale that COVID-19 did. Is, is that because some of these very lethal pathogens that are out there, they burn themselves out? And so we actually should be more scared of a flu-like uh, agent? Well, so, you know, certain organisms become uh, highly symptomatic rapidly, Mm-hmm. And the individual may or may not be infectious to others uh, before they're symptomatic. And so mm-hmm. in, in the case of Ebola, for example, folks get sick pretty rapidly and they present for, to healthcare care mm-hmm. uh, because, because they're in, in dire straits and, uh, and need health care. And you can sort of uh, curtail the, the, the spread of Ebola uh, because the, the folks are self-contained, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, in, 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 for example, COVID, uh, folks can be infectious to others before they're symptomatic, or they can mm-hmm. be infectious to others without ever becoming symptomatic. And that's what has allowed the rapid spread of COVID throughout the world and make it become a pandemic. So does that, does that indicate that COVID or the coronavirus, um, SARS-CoV-2, is that, that it's kind of a highly evolved virus because it's able to live within its host without presenting symptoms? Well, I mean, viruses uh, rapidly mutate, uh, some faster than others, of course, uh, mm-hmm. over time, but viruses uh, seek to, to exist mm-hmm. uh, and to continue to exist. And, and, and SARS-CoV-2 is, is, uh, is no different. I mean, it's rapidly mutating. Uh, that's why you're hearing about some of the mm-hmm. variants of concern right now. Uh, the Delta in, variant out of India, yeah. So... You know, uh, certain variants will uh, will either make folks sicker or be more infectious or less infectious, et cetera. But um, but you know, keep in mind, for example, uh, COVID has has killed on an order of magnitude greater a number of Americans than the flu does every year. Mm-hmm. So you know, even though there are some folks who have a relatively mild version of uh, COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. uh, COVID nineteen is killing. Uh, you know, yes, millions of people across the world, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people in the United States. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not something to, to be trifled with. Yes, sir. No, absolutely. Well, Colonel Cox, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Is there anything else that I, that I'm neglecting that, that we should cover? Uh, no, I just, uh, again, want to thank you and your listeners, uh, for taking the time to uh, speak with, uh, some folks from USAMRA today. We're, we're very happy to share uh, some of the things that we do uh, and what, one of the roles that we've played in force health protection and multi-domain operations and, and uh, just hope that this information is uh, useful for your listeners.
Oh, yes, sir. I think it's an absolutely, I mean, fascinating mission that you guys have and a critical mission that, unfortunately, I think a lot of the Army may not be all that abreast of. So I think it's a great opportunity for us to talk, and I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. I'd also like to thank our listeners and note that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the United States Army Training and Doctrine Command, or USAMRIT. I'm Major Chris Parker, and this is Breaking Doctrine.